Section seven of In Our Convent Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Our Convent Days by Agnes Replier. Section seven. Reverend Mother's Feast. Mother's Feast, in other words, the Saint's Day of the Superioress, was dawning upon our horizon, and its lights and shadows flecked our checkered paths. Theoretically, it was an occasion of pure joy, assuring us, as it did, a congé, and not a congé only, but the additional delights of a candy fair in the morning, and an operetta, the miracle of the roses, at night. Such a round of pleasures filled us with the happiest anticipations. But on the same principle that the church always prefaces her feast days with vigils and with fasts, the convent prefaced our congé with a competition in geography and with the collection of a spiritual bouquet which was to be our offering to reverend mother on her fete a competition in anything was an unqualified calamity it meant hours of additional study frantic memorizing of facts fit only to be forgotten and the bewildering ordeal of being interrogated before the whole school it meant for me two little legs that shook like reeds a heart that thumped like a hammer in my side a sensation of sickening terror when the examiner madame baron bore down upon me and a mind reduced to sudden blankness washed clean of any knowledge upon any subject when the simplest question was asked tried by this process i was only one degree removed from idiocy even elizabeth whose legs were as adamant whose heart-beats had the regularity of a pendulum and who if she knew a thing could say it hated to bound states and locate capitals for all the school to hear there are to be prizes too she said mournfully madame duncan said so i don't like going up for a prize it's worse than a medal at primes oh well maybe you won't get one observed tony consolingly you didn't you know last time i did the time before last said elizabeth calmly it was la corbeille de fleur there was an echo of resentment in her voice and we all even tony admitted that she had just cause for complaint to reward successful scholarship with a french book was one of those black-hearted deeds for which we invariably held madame baron responsible she may have been blameless as the babe unborn but it was our habit to attribute all our wrongs to her malign influence we knew la corbeille de fleurs at least we knew its shiny black cover and its frontispiece representing a sylph-like young lady in a floating veil bearing a hamper of provisions to a smiling and destitute old gentleman there was nothing in this picture nor in the accompanying lines Couvoyage, mon Dieu, aux anges du ciel, qui vient à mon succeur, which tempted us to perusal of the story, even had we been in the habit of voluntarily reading French. As for the spiritual bouquet, we felt that our failure to contribute to it, on a generous scale, was blackening our reputation forever. Every evening the roll was called and girl after girl gave her list of benefactions rosaries so many litanies so many aspirations so many deeds of kindness so many temptations resisted so many trials offered up so many acts so many 
a stranger listening to the replies might have imagined that the whole school was ripe for heaven these blossoms of virtue and piety were added every night to the bouquet and the sum total neatly written down in madame duncan's flowing hand was to be presented with an appropriate address to reverend mother on her feast as proof of our respectful devotion it was a heavy tax from what resources some girls drew their supplies remained ever a mystery to us how could ellie plunkett have found the opportunity to perform four good deeds of kindness and resist seven temptations in a day we never had any temptations to resist perhaps when one came along we yielded to it so quickly that it had ceased to tempt before its true character had been ascertained and to whom was ellie plunkett so overweeningly kind who wants ellie plunkett to be kind to her was tony's scornful query there was adelaide harrison too actually turning in twenty acts as one day's crop and smiling modestly when madame duncan praised her self-denial yet to our unborn judgment she seemed much the same as ever we at least refused to accept her estimate of her own well-spent life making an act was the convent phraseology for doing without something one wanted for stopping short on the verge of an innocent gratification if i gave up my place in the swing to viola milton that was an act if i walked to the woods with annie churchill when i wanted to walk with elizabeth that was an act if i ate my bread unbuttered or drank my tea unsweetened that was an act it will be easily understood that the constant practice of acts deprived life of everything that made it worth the living we were so trained in this system of renunciation that it was impossible to enjoy even the very simple pleasures that our convent table afforded if there were anything we particularly liked our nagging little consciences piped up with the intolerable make it an act make it an act and it was only when the last mouthful was resolutely swallowed that we could feel sure we had triumphed over asceticism there was something maddening in the example set us by our neighbors by those virtuous and pious girls who hemmed us in at study time and at our meals when mary rawdon gently waved aside the chocolate custard which was the very best chocolate custard it has ever been my fortune to eat and whispered to me as she did so an act for the bouquet i whispered back take it and give it to me and held out my plate with defiant greed annie churchill told us she hadn't eaten any butter for a week whereat tony called her an idiot and annie usually the mildest of girls said that envy at another spiritual good was a very great sin and that tony had committed it there is nothing so souring to the temper as abstinence what made it singularly hard to sacrifice our young lives for the swelling of the spiritual bouquet was that reverend mother who was to profit by our piety had so little significance in our eyes she was as remote from the daily routine of the school as the grand lama is remote from the humble tibetans whom he rules and if we regarded her with a lively awe it was only because of her aloofness of the reserves that hedged her majestically round 
she was an englishwoman of good family and of vast bulk there was a tradition that she had been married and widowed before she became a nun but this was a subject upon which we were not encouraged to talk it was considered both disrespectful and indecorous reverend mother's voice was slow and deep a ponderous voice to suit her ponderous size and she spoke with what seemed to us strange and barbarous accent pronouncing certain words in a manner which i have since learned was common in the days of queen elizabeth and which a few ripe scholars are now endeavouring to reintroduce she was near-sighted to the verge of blindness and always at mass used a large magnifying glass like the one held by leo x in raphael's portrait she was not without literary tastes of an insipid and obsolete order the tastes of an english gentlewoman reared in the days when young ladies read the female spectator and warbled oh no we never mention her had she not entered religion she might have taken more and byron to her heart as did one little girl whose child harold lay deeply hidden in a schoolroom desk but the rejection of these profane poets had left her stranded upon such feeble substitutes as letitia elizabeth landon whose mysterious death she was occasionally heard to deplore twice on sundays reverend mother crossed our orbit in the morning when she instructed the whole school in christian doctrine and at night when she presided over primes during the week we saw her only at mass we should never even have known about letitia elizabeth landon had she not granted an occasional audience to the graduates and discoursed to them sleepily upon the books she had read in her youth whatever may have been her qualifications for her post she had surpassing dignity of carriage and was probably a woman of intelligence and force to us she was a mere embodiment of authority as destitute of personal malice as of personal charm i detested madame baron and loved madame rayburn elizabeth detested madame baron and loved madame dane emily detested madame baron and loved madame duncan these were emotions simply nourished and easily understood we were capable of going to great lengths to prove either our aversion or our love but to give up chocolate custard for reverend mother was like suffering martyrdom for a creed we did not hold it's because reverend mother is so fond of geography that we're going to have the competition said lily madame duncan told me so why can't reverend mother if she likes it so much learn it for herself asked tony sharply i'll lend her my atlas oh she knows it all said lily rather scandalized madame duncan told me it was her favorite study and that she knew the geography of the whole world then i don't see why she wants to hear us say it observed elizabeth apparently under the impression that competitions like gladiatorial shows were gotten up solely for the amusement of an audience it never occurred to her nor indeed to any of us to attach any educational value to the performance we conceived that we were butchered to make a convent holiday and it's because reverend mother is so fond of music that we are going to have an operetta instead of a play went on lily pleased to have information to impart i sighed heavily 
how could anybody prefer anything to a play i recognized an operetta as a form of diversion and was grateful for it as i should have been grateful for any entertainment short of an organ recital we were none of us surfeited with pleasures but to me song was at best only an imperfect mode of speech and the meaningless repetition of a phrase which needed to be said but once vexed my impatient spirit we were already tolerably familiar with the miracle of the roses for two weeks past the strains had floated from every music-room we could hear through the closed doors francis fenton who was to be saint elizabeth of hungary quavering sweetly unpretending and lowly like spirits pure and holy i love the wild rose best i love the wild rose best i love the wild rose best we could hear ella holbrook announcing in her deep contralto tis the privilege of a landgrave to go where glory waits him glory waits him and the chorus trilling jubilantly heaven has changed the bread to roses heaven has changed the bread to roses why i wonder did they have to say everything two or three times over even when the landgrave detects st elizabeth in the act of carrying the loaves to the poor his anger finds a vent in iteration once again you have dared to brave my anger yes once again you have dared to brave my anger my power you scorn my power you scorn to which the saint replies but tediously my lord they are my lord they are but simple roses simple roses that i gathered in the garden even now suppose that bread hadn't been changed to roses said elizabeth speculatively i wonder what saint elizabeth would have done well she knew it had been because she prayed it would be said marie who was something of a theologian but suppose it hadn't but it had and she knew it had because of her piety and faith insisted marie i shouldn't have liked to risk it murmured elizabeth i think her husband was a pig said tony going off to the crusade and making all that fuss about a few loaves of bread if i had been saying elizabeth she paused determining her course of action and marie ruthlessly interrupted if you're not a saint you can't tell what you would do if you were a saint you would be different there was no doubt that tony as a saint would have to be so very different from the tony whom we knew that marie's dogmatism prevailed even elizabeth was silenced and in the pause that followed lily had a chance to impart her third piece of information it's because reverend mother's name is elizabeth she said that we're going to have an operetta about saint elizabeth and bessie treves is to make the address thank heaven there is another elizabeth in the school or i might have to do it cried our elizabeth who coveted no barren honors and even as she spoke the blow fell madame rayburn appeared at the schoolroom door a folded paper in her hand elizabeth she said and with a hurried glance of apprehension the saint's unhappy namesake withdrew we looked at one another meaningly it's like giving thanks before you're sure of dinner chuckled tony i had no chance to hear any particulars until night 
when elizabeth watched her opportunity and sallied forth to brush her teeth while i was dawdling over mine the strictest silence prevailed in the dormitories and no child left her alcove except for the ceremony of tooth-brushing which was performed at one of two large tubs stationed in the middle of the floor these tubs blessed be their memory served as centres of gossip friend met friend and smothered confidences were exchanged our gayest witticisms hastily choked by a toothbrush our oldest and dearest jests were whispered brokenly to the accompaniment of little splashes of water it was the last social event of our long social day and we welcomed it as if we had not been in close companionship since seven o'clock in the morning elizabeth scrubbing her teeth with ostentatious vigor found a chance to tell me between scrubs that bessie treves had been summoned home for a week and that she as the only other bearer of reverend mother's honored name had been chosen to make the address it's the feast of st elizabeth she whispered and the operette is about st elizabeth and they want an elizabeth to speak i wish i had been christened melpomene couldn't have been christened melpomene i whispered back keeping a watchful eye upon madame chapelle who was walking up and down the dormitory saying her beads it isn't a christian name there's never was a saint melpomene it's nearly three pages long said elizabeth alluding to the address and not to the tragic muse all about the duties of women and how they ought to stay at home and be kind to the poor like saint elizabeth and let their husbands go to the crusades but there are no crusades any more for their husbands to go to i objected elizabeth looked at me restively she did not like the fractious humor i mean let their husbands go to war she said but if there are no wars i began when madame chapelle who had not been so inattentive as i supposed intervened elizabeth and agnes go back to your alcoves she said you have been quite long enough brushing your teeth i flirted my last drop of water over elizabeth and she returned the favor with interest having more left in her tumbler than i had it was our customary good night sometimes we were wittily disposed we said asperges me that was one of the jests of the convent generations of girls had probably said it before me our language was enriched with scraps of latin and apt quotations borrowed from church services and penitential psalms in the catechism for two days elizabeth studied the address and for two days more she rehearsed it continuously under madame rayburn's tutelage at intervals she recited portions of it to us and we favored her with our candid criticisms tony objected vehemently to the very first line a woman's path is ours to humbly tread she said she didn't intend to tread it humbly at all that elizabeth might be as humble as she pleased elizabeth promptly disclaimed any personal sympathy with the sentiment and that marie and agnes were welcome to all the humility they could practice marie and agnes rejected their share of the virtue but that she tony was tired of behaving like an affable worm to this emily with more courage than courtesy replied that a worm tony might be but an affable worm never and elizabeth headed off any further retort 
by hurrying on with the address a woman's path is ours to humbly tread and yet to lofty heights our hopes are led we may not share the senate's stern debate nor guide with faltering hand the helm of state ours is the holier right to soften party hate and teach the lesson lofty and divine ambition's fairest flowers are laid at virtue's shrine have you any idea what all that means asked marie discontentedly oh i don't have to say what it means returned elizabeth far too sensible to try to understand anything she would not be called upon to explain reverend mother makes that out for herself not ours the right to guide the battle's storm where strength and valor deathless deeds perform not ours to bind the blood-stained laurel wreath in mocking triumph round the brow of death no tis our lot to save the failing breath tis ours to heal each wound and hush each moan to take from other hearts the pain into our own it seems to me said tony that we are expected to do all the work and have none of the fun it seems to me said marie that by the time we have filled ourselves up with other people's pains we won't care much about fun did reverend mother i wonder heal wounds and hush up moans st elizabeth did explained elizabeth her husband went to the holy land and was killed and then she became a nun there are some lines at the end that i don't know yet about reverend mother seeking the shelter of the cloister gate like the dear saint whose name we venerate madame rayburn wants me to make an act and learn the rest of it at recreation this afternoon this horrid old geography takes up all my study time i've made three acts to-day observed lily complacently and said a whole pair of beads this morning at mass for the spiritual bouquet i haven't made one act i cried aghast i haven't done anything at all and i don't know what to do you might make one now said elizabeth thoughtfully and go talk to adelaide harrison i glanced at adelaide who was sitting on the edge of her desk absorbed in a book oh i don't want to i wailed if you wanted to it wouldn't be an act said elizabeth but she doesn't want me to she's reading fabiola then you'll give her the chance to make an act too said the relentless elizabeth argued into a corner i turned at bay i won't i said resolutely to which elizabeth replied well i would neither in your place and the painful subject was dropped four days before the feast the excitement had reached fever point though the routine of school life went on with the same smooth precision every penny had been hoarded up for the candy fair it was with the utmost reluctance that we bought even the stamps for our home letters those weekly letters we were compelled to write and which were such pale reflections of our eager and vehement selves perhaps this was because we knew that every line was read by madame baron before it left the convent perhaps the discipline of those days discouraged familiarity with our parents perhaps the barrier which nature builds between the adult and the normal child was alone responsible for our lack of spontaneity 
certain it is that the stiffly written pages dispatched to father or to mother every sunday night gave no hint of our abundant and restless vitality our zest for the little feast of life our exultations our resentments our thrice blessed absurdities entrenched in the citadel of childhood with laws of our own making and passwords of our own devising our souls bad defiance to the world if all our hopes centered on the conge the candy fair and the operetta which was to be produced on a scale of unwonted magnificence our time was sternly devoted to the unpitying exactions of geography every night we took our atlases to bed with us under the impression that sleeping on a book would help us to remember its contents as the atlases were big and our pillows very small this device was pregnant with discomfort on the fourth night before the feast something wonderful happened it was the evening study hour and i was wrestling sleepily with the mountains of asia hideous excrescences with unpronounceable and unrememberable names when madame rayburn entered the room as we rose to our feet we saw that she looked very grave and our minds took a backward leap over the day had we done anything unusually bad anything that could call down upon us a public indictment and was madame rayburn for once filling madame baron's office we could think of nothing but life was full of pitfalls and there was no sense of security in our souls we waited anxiously children said madame rayburn i have sorrowful news for you reverend mother has been summoned to france she sails on her feast day and leaves for new york to-morrow we stared open-mouthed and aghast the ground seemed sinking from under our feet the walls crumbling about us reverend mother sailing for france and on her feast day too the feast for which so many ardent preparations had been made the conge the competition the address the operetta the spiritual bouquet the candy fair were they too sailing away into the land of lost things to have asked one of the questions that trembled on our lips would have been an unheard-of liberty we listened in respectful silence our eyes riveted on madame rayburn's face you will all go to chapel now she said to-night we begin a novena to mater admirabilis for reverend mother's safe voyage she dreads it very much and she is sad at leaving you pray for her devoutly madame dane will bring you down to the chapel she turned to go our hearts beat violently she knew she could not fail to know the thought that was uppermost in every mind she was too experienced and too sympathetic to miss the significance of our strained and wistful gaze a shadowy smile crossed her face madame baron would have told you to-morrow she said what i think i shall tell you to-night it is reverend mother's expressed desire that you should have your conge on her feast though she will not be here to enjoy it with you a sigh of relief a sigh which we could not help permitting to be audible shivered softly around the room the day was saved yet as we marched to the chapel there was a turmoil of agitation in our hearts 
we knew that from far-away france from a mysterious and all-powerful person who dwelt there and who was called mother general came the mandates which governed our community this was not the first sudden departure we had witnessed but reverend mother seemed so august so permanent so immobile her very sighs protested mutely against upheaval should we never again see that familiar figure sitting in her stall peering through her glass into a massive prayer-book a leviathan of prayer-books as imposing in its way as she was or blinking sleepily at us as we filed by why if somebody was needed in france had it not pleased mother general to send for madame Baron? many a dry eye would have seen her go but then as lily whispered to me suppose it had been madame rayburn there was a tightening in my heart-strings at the thought a sudden suffocating pang dimly foreboding the grief of another year the consensus of opinion as gathered that evening in the dormitory was not unlike the old jacobite epitaph on frederick prince of wales every one of us was sincerely sorry that madame baron had not been summoned had it been his father he had much rather but glad that madame dane or madame rayburn or madame duncan or some other favorite nun had escaped since it's only fred who was alive and is dead there is no more to be said the loss of our superiors was bewildering but not for us a thing of deep concern we could sleep as sweetly as usual that night the next morning we were all gathered into the big first course classroom where reverend mother came to bid us good-bye it was a solemn leave-taking the address was no longer in order but the spiritual bouquet had been made up the night before and was presented in our name by madame baron who read out the generous sum total of prayers and acts and offered up trials and resisted temptations which constituted our feast-day gift as reverend mother listened i saw a large tear roll slowly down her cheek and my heart smote me my heart was always smiting me when it was too late that i had contributed so meagerly to the donation i remembered the chocolate custard and thought for one mistaken moment that i should never want to taste of that beloved dish again perhaps if i had offered it up reverend mother would cross the sea in safety perhaps because i ate it she would have storms and be drowned the doubtful justice of this arrangement was no more apparent to me than its unlikelihood we were accustomed to think that the wide universe was planned and run for our reward and punishment a rainy sunday following the misdeeds of saturday was to us a logical sequence of events when the bouquet had been presented reverend mother said a few words of farewell she said them as if she were sad at heart not only at crossing the ocean not only at parting from her community but at leaving us as well i suppose she loved us collectively she couldn't have loved us individually knowing us only as two long rows of uniformed curtsying schoolgirls whose features she was too near-sighted to distinguish on the other hand if our charms and our virtues were lost to her so were our less engaging qualities perhaps taken collectively we were rather lovable 
our uniforms were spotless our hair superlatively smooth no blousy tossing locks as in these days of libertinism and our curtsies as graceful as hours of practice could make them we sank and rose like the crest of a wave on the whole reverend mother had the best of us madame baron might have been pardoned for taking a less sentimental view of the situation that afternoon while we were at french class reverend mother departed we heard the carriage roll away but were not permitted to rush to the windows and look at it which would have been a welcome distraction from our verbs an hour later at recreation madame rayburn sent for elizabeth she was gone fifteen minutes and came back tense with suppressed excitement oh what is it we cried the conge is all right all right said elizabeth and the candy fair asked lily whose father had given her a dollar to squander upon sweets oh it's all right too the candy is here now and ella holbrook and mary deniston and isabel summers are to have charge of the tables madame dane told me that yesterday our faces lightened and then fell is it the competition we asked apprehensively elizabeth looked disconcerted it was plain she knew nothing about the competition and hated to avow her ignorance we always felt so important when we had news to tell of course after studying all that geography we'll have to say it sooner or later she said but a triumphant pause a new reverend mother is coming to-morrow murmured marie relapsing into agitated french while tony whistled softly and emily and i stared at each other in silence the speed with which things were happening took our breath away coming to-morrow repeated elizabeth and i'm going to say the address as a welcome to her on the night of the conge before the operetta is her name elizabeth too i asked bewildered no her name is catherine madame rayburn is going to leave out the lines about st elizabeth and put in something about st catherine of siena instead that's why she wanted the address and she is going to change the part about not sharing the senate's stern debate not guiding with faltering hands the helm of state because st catherine did guide the helm of state at least she went to avignon and argued with the pope argued with the pope echoed marie scandalized she was a saint marie said elizabeth impatiently and driving home an argument with which marie herself had familiarized us she persuaded the pope to go to rome madame rayburn would like kate shaw to make the address but she says there isn't time for another girl to study it when is the feast of st catherine of siena cried tony fired suddenly by a happy thought maybe we'll have another conge then she rushed off to consult her prayer-book lily followed her and in a moment their two heads were pressed close together as they scanned the roman calendar hopefully but before my eyes rose the image of reverend mother our lost reverend mother with a slow teardrop rolling down her cheek her operetta was to be sung to another her address was to be made to another her very saint was pushed aside in honor of another holy patroness the king is dead long live the king end of section seven